Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Getting Hammered. I'm your host, Mary Catherine Ham. I'm here, as always, with Vic Mattis of The Free Beacon. We are your morning show for any hour. We'll help you get caught up on the news, the nonsense, and the news. That's what we're here for. Vic, how's it going? Hello, Mary Catherine. I'm doing okay. Getting through the first full week of Lent. It's a little tricky. Normally, I like to kick back after a full day of once I do all my responsibilities and chores and things to kick back and play a little bit of Sid Meier's Civilization, as some listeners know. So in lieu of that, I done things like vacuum. <laughs> I I filled out a dishwasher rebate. Wow, look at you. you. We got a new dishwasher and you know they always entice you with the, oh, well, you, you know, it's actually not this price because once you mm-hmm. send back the rebate, I love to know statistically how many people send the rebate back oh yeah you because you now yeah. I, I, because Mary, sometimes they'll make it you, hard for you if to you do watch mk co- stroll in you know that rebate is going to be money left on the table she is not <laughs> going to follow up if you see steve walk in that money's gone yeah oh yeah 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 no you could be like you know what's the serial number but i but the good thing is i am now 500 pages into tom wolf's bonfire of the vanities look at you i'm almost at the end i got like another 150 or something pages left it is of course i started this years ago but now i'm really getting it's a slow burn but it's a fantastic comes together so so it is i would say for for and for listeners who have read it I just finished the chapter called Styrofoam Peanuts, where he gets arraigned in the Bronx Police Department. And it's this hellscape that Tom Wolf is sort of this. It's so scary. I was scared straight, Mary Catherine. <laughs> I'm not even going to. I'm not. I normally in the morning, I make, a, you know, the illegal, you know, turn onto one of these roads that you're not supposed to go between the hours of like eight and, you know, 10. I'm going in there. Not anymore. I can't take a chance. I don't want to yeah. end up like Sherman McCoy. I- so. It's really I felt like when I read, but I read Bonfire of the Van- Vanities like just a couple of years ago, and I felt wow. like it felt more of the moment than it should. Yeah, right. It's amazing. Yeah, no. Every it, it still is. You, you know, all these various forces driven by the politics of whatever wherever they're coming from, and all converging on this one yes. man. And also the, 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 his motivations and his wrong motivations, it's all coming together in this sort of cosmic catastrophe. <laughs> and I think I kind of, Matt always says, uh, wait till like, Matt Cotton, anyway, mm-hmm. a friend, our good friend says, wait till you get to the chapter, Death New York Style, which he claims is one of the best chapters in a novel ever written. Wow. And frankly, I mean, I've already, having gone through styrofoam peanuts, I can't imagine it being more amazing than that. But I'm, I'm bracing for the I have, worst. I have always heard. Don't tell me what happens. No, no, no. I have I'm always scared. heard that the, that the movie adaptation of Bonfire of the Vanities is one of the worst oh. versions yeah. of a book ever. Yeah. And for that reason, I actually want to watch it. I want to see how bad it is. Yes, Everything they got wrong, it makes more sense to me because I think many, many years ago I saw the movie, but obviously without having read the book. But there's even a book about how this movie was so oh, terrible really? in their adaptation of the book. You know, a book about a movie about a book. And I guess like Bruce Willis, I guess, plays the the journalist. Oh, really? And of course, Tom Hanks plays Sherman McCoy. Melanie Griffin, I assume, Griffith, I assume she is the, the mistress. Yeah. This cast, it's... this cast should not have gone wrong, but- no, it had everything of that moment, yes. of that moment. So that's that's what's going on with me. How are you? You had a busy I'm good. I, well, I also have a late book review. 
Let me let me Ooh. recommend one to you. Vic. Oh, this is exciting. Yes. <laughs> Are you ready for this? Give it to me. I yes. just read Grapes of Wrath. That's a good book. <laughs> it turns out. <laughs> you know, not it was never on my assigned reading lists for high school. Well, that's because Steinbeck is great because Steinbeck's masterpiece is, you know, whatever gajillion pages long, but he has two very famous novellas. And if you have a bunch of high school students, you want who assigned the novella. So I've read both novellas, but not the giant novel until now. Who is, who is of mice and men? Is that Steinbeck as well? Yeah. Okay. So I read The Grapes of Wrath, and you know it has a real way of putting your problems into perspective in these oh, modern yeah, the times. It's... Yeah, the dust bowl. Yes. <laughs> like yes, the dust bowl versus today. What am I trying to complain about today? I'm not living on the side of a road in a tent and lucky to be in a train car, right? Like that would be that'd yeah. be a good outcome. Yeah. yeah. That that's right. I did see the movie with Henry Fine. I would like to watch that too. I don't think it's I've ever good. seen it. It's truly a fantastic book. And I looked it up to to figure out when it was written, and I was surprised how close to the Dust Bowl times it was. Oh, really? It was written in 39. Yeah. So not super far removed from no, no, what it no, is talking all. about. And I, I wondered, like, we're not so good at doing that anymore. Where it, it, it takes a very, it takes a, what feels like a light hand with politics. There's politics in it, obviously. But mm-hmm. it's just conversations yeah. between people, and it doesn't feel like the bludgeon that it would be if someone were to tackle a novel about, say, the last three years. I don't, I don't think it would well, feel yeah. the same. I mean, they'd like beat you over the now, head. Now, is that because I'm far removed from the Dust Bowl, or is that because Steinbeck was a better writer? I think it's probably because Steinbeck was a better writer than we would see someone, a politicized writer tackling, yeah. like, COVID era, right? Well, yeah, and, and there's... There are things connected to this, which will connect to Roald Dahl later on our show. But I was thinking about, for example, To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, which is an amazing book that I can recommend. Yes, now. there you go. And and the movie, I've seen both the movies. I'm so uh, glad both of us tech. are taking high school both. English now. <laughs> Next up, Macbeth, which I, I still haven't. I still haven't read Macbeth. I've read Shakespeare, but for some reason, my high school skipped that one. No, but I was going to say about To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, it became this huge show on Broadway again with Ed Harris, but apparently in this reimagining of it, it's a little bit too on the nose oh, really? is what people say. Yeah. You know, they've, so they've made tweaks and adjustments mm. for our time. So I, I loved To Kill a Mockingbird as a child and my dad loved the movie. And so we watched the movie over and over yeah. again when we were kids. Yeah. Scout was my hero. I thought she was just yeah. the coolest. Because we, yeah. I had short hair too. I was very tomboyish, and so I oh. identified with Scout. She was great. She was great. I know that, that book is banned some places now. Take, <laughs> ta- well, taken out of the. It's the actors. Taken right. out of the libraries. It is. It is the whole. You know, the Me Too thing is 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 problematic. Well, and it has will, bad anything with bad flurs in oh, yeah. it is is considered yeah language and the false accusations. Yes. Um. So. So yes. Yeah, so I I read the Grapes of Wrath. Got that check that box. And then it's good for you. Then I chaperoned my kid on a field trip today up to Baltimore to the Maryland Science Center, which is lovely. It's in the Inner Harbor. It's a oh, so the Baltimore, but did they do they call it the Maryland Science yes, Center? And I had never oh, been to it before. I've been to the aquarium. Mm-hmm. I'd never been to the science center. Same. 
It's a very good science museum. There's three floors of great stuff. The kids had a blast. These are first graders. I followed. We didn't ride on the bus. The bus went and then we met up with the bus. So I sat in some nice traffic this morning on the way up to Baltimore. And then I got to Baltimore. And like you do, I get out and I, I walk down the street and I smell weed, see a police car chase. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then as I was walking across, I was at a crosswalk with the stroller. I had the baby with me walking across and the, the it's, I'm fully within my rights as a pedestrian. Like, yeah. And behind me, right as I pass with the stroller, I hear and feel a car just take off. And I thought, that's funny. I didn't think I was anywhere close to the, to the crosswalk, to my light running out. And I turned around and sure enough, no, that guy had been at a dead stop and was just like, I unsubscribed from this red light. And he just took off. It was just, it's anarchy, Vic. Lawlessness. <laughs> but largely, wow. I had a very lovely time in Baltimore. I just thought it was funny that in the first 10 minutes, that was... Those were my well, maybe, maybe maybe he was maybe he's on his way to Philip Seafood. Perhaps, perhaps. That's what know, I, I mean, go. no I one was coming. I guess he looked both ways, but he did just opt out of that traffic. That's line, uh, so. that's something else. <laughs> and, and and so it's an interactive museum. Yeah, lots, lots of, of gadgets for them, to, for them to play with, and they had a little yeah. pulley system where you can where you can you sit on a seat and it teaches you how pulleys work because it's easier to pull yourself up with. The oh, rope, yeah, if sure, you are course, on a pulley yeah. system. And my daughter, who weighs, you know, 50 pounds, did it. And then she jumps off and she's like, you do it, mom, in front of all of her oh, friends. Oh, and I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> and it turned out, luckily, there were enough pulleys and I was fine. But I was I was trying to make sure I looked good in front of the other chaperones, right? You can't enjoy- wow, impressive. Impressive. If that, if that were me, you'd hear a lot of creaking. <laughs> You know, from the ropes, like <laughs> I did. I I made it. I made it. I also ran my outfit by my daughter before I chaperoned the trip because we've already hit that age. You're, you're getting to yeah. that age where she had. You got to get. Wow. She was like, "Yeah, it's cute." I mean, I get cute. that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they no. I remember this happened a lot. I remember the first time it happened with my daughter many years ago, and she made some comment about color coordination. There you go. And I was like, "What? Excuse me." And now, me? of course, it's a whole. Yeah, when 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 it's when it's something she doesn't like, she'll say, "Well, it's it's a statement." That's what she'll say. It's a statement. <laughs> it's like so delicate, so delicate. Yeah. Well, we got news well, today, Vic. Yes, we got we a couple do. updates that I want to run through because they're about what we were just talking about. You know, I like to be responsible and go back and revisit things. Make sure we're giving the people all the information. So I want to play a little bit of John Stewart, formerly oh, yeah. of The Daily Show, reacting to the news that the COVID-19 virus officially now, with moderate to low certainty, as determined by the U.S. government, may have come from a lab, which he's talked about and got canceled for in the past. I think we have that first clip of when he talked about it on Stephen Colbert. We'll play that. What about Wait this? Listen to this. Wait a second. All right. John. Oh my God. Oh my God. There's been an outbreak of chocolatey goodness near Hershey, Pennsylvania. What do you think happened? Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe a steam shovel made it with a cocoa bean. Or it's the <laughs> chocolate factory. Maybe that's it. That could be. 
And now let me hear a little bit of John Stewart talking about his reaction. The Department of Energy came out with a report saying that they have, they said low confidence, but that uh, the COVID-19 uh, was a result of a lab leak. Uh, are you are you trying to get me canceled again? <laughs> I know. I've, I've gotten so many texts being like, is John gloating? Do you feel vindicated? No, there is no. There, what? I, the, first of all, I, I wasn't waiting for the Department of Energy to wait. Right. You know, that's one of those. You, like, were, you were refreshing yeah, the Department of Energy feed. What, what, what is the Department of Energy? With I'm, low confidence. It's, it's not about certainty or the, the larger problem with all of this is the inability to discuss things that are within the realm of possibility without falling into absolutes and litmus testing each other for uh, our political allegiances as it arose from that. My, my bigger problem with, with that was I thought it was a pretty good bit that expressed kind of how I felt. And the two things that came out of it were I'm racist against Asian people and how dare I align myself with the alt-right? So, yes, John Stewart, yes. Yes. Just the, just the ability to talk about something that might be within the realm of possibility. Yeah, you know, you can't do that because, you know, you, the, the narrative is so very important, Mary Catherine. And it is funny. I'm not sure when exactly they taped this because, you know, in addition to the, quote, low confidence from the Department of Energy, which oversees our national labs, by the way. You also had Christopher Ray being interviewed by Brett Baer on Fox News, telling Brett that most likely the virus came from right. the lab. And so you go back to that Colbert clip, and it's true. You know, you can you can theorize, and technically, you can, and obviously, a lot of people do, and they'll say, "We'll never know." But you can theorize that a a, a Chinese person, you know, ate a bat or a pangolin lizard in the wet market. And that's how COVID began. Or you can, as John Stewart says, you know, look down the road yeah. at the Wuhan it's Virology the building. Lab. It's right there. It's right there. And they and there's no there's no question. Uh, it's not a conspiracy theory that there was COVID inside there. Yes, they were. They had that right. there. They admit they had COVID. You know, they received gain of function funding through Anthony Fauci's agency. But no, there was no chance it came out of there. It still boggles my mind, by the way that people are so vested in wanting to believe it's the wet, wet market right. and not coming from the Wuhan Virology Lab. It's really, and, and even Stephen Colbert commented, commented on it last night saying, we will, he was talking, joking about Jon Stewart, and then he said, but we will never know. Really? I mean, we could know if we, yeah, we, if we wanted to know. Yeah. I, I think it's a yeah. matter of not wanting to know because then you sort of yeah. have to become a China hawk if you... <laughs> realize yeah. the, you're willing the to allow that enormity to of what has happened here mm -hmm. and people don't want to be aligned with the wrong side right. and they don't want to have to make China answer for this in any way. Yeah. And of course, we are in a tricky geopolitical situation that way. But it, it continues to blow my mind that, A, they haven't paid any price as a nation state, as a government, the CCP, for what happened. Yeah. And B, that many of our own journalists actively argue their side of the story without any thought to whether, I don't know, an authoritarian state is capable of telling the truth. I mean, we're barely capable yeah. of it. Like, let's... <laughs> yeah, that's right. As you mentioned, 
because they don't want to have to end up aligning on the same side as Trump. Right. Trump was the one who pushed this theory from the very beginning, and everybody was outraged by it. And so, you know, you cannot possibly agree with anything that he says. And that's their problem because, you know, if it turns out to be right, he's right. The, the other interesting thing is he talks about being canceled. I never thought of Jon Stewart getting canceled after this, but I guess his version of getting canceled is getting a lot of hate mail. Yeah. I mean, because it's not like he would lose a contract or anything. No, he's he's one of those people. And this is why him doing that is valuable. He's one of these people that's beyond yeah. cancellation because he owns his own stuff. He does his own stuff. Yeah. He is an elder statesman of American comedy and commentary. Mm -hmm. So there's little you can do to him. But I'm sure that like the avalanche of nastiness was impressive. I, oh, I sure. can't imagine it was not. Right. You're, you're supposed to be on our side. Yeah, what are you did doing? the wrong. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You betrayed us by yeah. entertaining this idea. And he's right, because, you know, as he says about, you know, if you're a Democrat, you have to believe in these things. If you're a Republican, you have to believe in these things. But as you and I know, it is not very clear cut. Right. You think about Ukraine, Republicans and how they feel about funding for the, the war in Ukraine. You think about on the other side with all the woke stuff. You think about Bill Maher, yep. Matt Taibbi. And, uh, and Woody Harrelson with yes. vaccines, as we just talking in the Let's last episode. Let's all mix it up, Let's, people. Yeah. Mixing it up this is, is good. How, <laughs> this is how it works. Okay. All right. Another update on the Roll Doll front. Yes. The publisher of Roll Doll books has announced that it will produce uncensored versions of his stories following a backlash over changes to his work. You'll remember last week we brought the story to you about them censoring words like fat or just any really anything that yeah. might be objectionable in Roald Dahl, which is basically half of Roald Dahl. I mean, it's supposed to be nasty. Yeah. It's supposed to be yep. like brutish. That's the, the nature mm -hmm. of the prose. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes right. it fun for kids. By the way, Roald Dahl has a funny quote where he says, none of my critics have ever been children on this front because mm -hmm. the children <laughs> love the nastiness. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah they do. The grossness and they all do. of that. This comes, this news comes a little bit too late for me as I had already purchased 2019 versions of all of the books. <laughs> yes, you're, you, were ahead, you were ahead of the curve, though. You knew this was going to happen, and sure enough, there are now versions that are available, and these publishers can make extra money knowing that I think most people, I would like to think most people would prefer the original versions, think. what the author actually said, because... The, again, we're we're not talking we're not talking about translations here. You know, this is no. not the Iliad. Oh, do you prefer this version or that version of the Iliad? And and you know, there's no deciphering. It's just censorship. And and the idea also that you know, adding your own stuff to the piece would make it better. Yeah, like just hands off, guys. But I, I it, my it, rem two, it reminds me of the, yeah. I was say, my my two eBay purchases arrived. And Steve keeps opening roll oh, doll already. books. <laughs> like, okay, I got a little, got a little carried away, Steve. Yeah. Okay, yeah. the witches was not in the set, so I had to purchase the witches separately. Delete. And delightfully, it came in the exact. It was the exact version that I read as a child, and it's a discard book from a library. So it's got the mylar cover, <laughs> and it's got the same, the same oh, one that good. freaked me out at age yeah. seven or eight is the exact one I have now. And did you say that your your girls sort of just shrugged? Yeah, they like, were not, not scared. <laughs> scared at all. I, yeah, I just, I remember funny. that being one of the first experiences where I, I could barely go to sleep at night reading that book. It was so, there, it was so tense. There's a moment where he's behind this shade. 
the kid who's the mm-hmm. the main character is behind this shade in a room that ends up being a convention spoiler alert convention of witches who of yeah. course would would you know be a mortal threat to him and he has yes. to hide back there and hope they oh, don't find him out and i just i was losing it i was losing it <laughs> a formative moment not for my children but for me i'm trying to think if there was ever a book that actually scared me number one i you know have to read a book but no i, I i'm trying trying to go back and i i think that i was fine though i never really read the only yeah i don't read stephen king i don't read horror so i guess it wouldn't be up there except for stephen king's book on writing which is a fantastic book it is. Excuse me while I eat ice while we podcast. Please. I read, you know, I remember reading, like, for example, The Godfather, right? Mary Puzo's The Godfather and Nicholas Pledgey's Wise Guy. And that's just, you know, a lot of violence. Great. I am. I haven't read a ton of Stephen King. I used to watch a lot of Stephen King movies. I went through a real horror sure. movie phase as a teenager, but I haven't read a lot of Stephen King movie, uh, books. And, and then I found out our friend who you mentioned earlier, Matt Continetti is a huge Stephen King oh, he fan. Loves. Oh, huge. And so I dove in after, upon his recommendation, and finally read The Stand, which is a very long and fun book. But it's that's that's one to bite off. That's also kind of timely considering Well, actually, this, plagues, was pre, I, right? this was a couple years ago. And I actually, oh, it, was, it was- You read it pre-COVID? Yes, and it was an audio book. Oh. But here's the thing. I listened uh-huh. to the audio book while I was taking my children on like a- 3000 mile road trip while they were napping i would listen to it in the car right. but i'm in like the wild like the the very yeah. desolate parts of wyoming and oregon and, yeah you might as well be headed out to and it exactly feels, like they were headed out in the book too. feels very right. dark when you're listening to yeah. that on the road but I enjoyed it. On, on your way back, on your way back, did you listen to Cormac McCarthy's The Road? I should have. Like, let's, also. In <laughs> fact, girls, you listen to this too. Cormac McCarthy, famously kid-friendly. <laughs> we need to get you in the mood. Oh my gosh. Speaking of dark, let's do an update on, and I'm throwing this one at you, Vic, and I apologize. It's a curveball. But I do, I, oh, okay. I want to do a quick update on the Mar-a-Lago raid. Oh, really? So there's a report okay. in the Washington Post exclusive about Uh the back and forth between prosecutors and FBI agents about whether to do this raid. Showdown before the raid, FBI agents and prosecutors argued over Trump, an exclusive look at behind-the-scenes deliberations. I'll read the first few paragraphs and then point out a couple things. Now, the Mar-a-Lago raid happened in August. At the time, you and I were like, look, this guy, like Trump is, I have no doubt that he's like badly behaved and hasn't done he hasn't checked all the boxes he needs to check on yep. these things. Do I think that the there's a possibility there's something problematic there? Sure. Do I think it's a giant possibility? Nah. Like we've heard this story a lot. A and lot. then what, what you and I expressed was like, wow, they better be sure because this is a very aggressive move. Okay. It sets a very bad precedent. Next thing you know, you're forcing the president to release his tax records <laughs> in order to nab him because that's finally going to do yeah. it. If the raid doesn't yeah. do it. The coy- coyote strikes again. Okay. Yeah. So let me, let me, now we know a little bit about how sure they were. Months oh of disputes between Justice Department prosecutors and FBI agents over how best to try to recover classified documents from Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago club and residents led to a tense showdown near the end of July last year. According to four people familiar with the discussions, prosecutors argued that new evidence suggested Trump was knowingly concealing secret documents at his Palm Beach, Florida home and urged the FBI to conduct a surprise raid at the property. 
But two senior FBI officials who would be in charge of leading the search resisted the plan as too combative and proposed instead to seek Trump's permission to search his property, according to the four people who spoke on the condition of anonymity to describe a sensitive investigation. Okay, so let's note they are not on the record by name. They are anonymous. They may be trying to make they have their own motivations. So just keep that in mind. Prosecutors ultimately prevailed in that dispute, one of several previously unreported clashes in a tense tug of war between two arms of the Justice Department over how aggressively to pursue a criminal investigation of a former president. So they go through all the fights that these guys had, and then they outline Trump's bad behavior. So archives officials reported that after they had pleaded with Trump's representatives for months, the former president had in January returned 15 boxes of government records he had stored at Mar-a-Lago since his presidency ended. Sifting through the box's contents, archivists were shocked by what they found, 184 classified documents consisting of 700 pages. Archives officials said they had reason to believe Trump still had more sensitive or classified documents he took from the White House. So there was at issue his behavior, actual documents at the place. But FBI agents viewed Mar-a-Lago search in May as premature and combative, especially given that it involved raiding the home of a former president. That spring, top officials at FBI headquarters met with prosecutors to review the strength of evidence that could be used to justify a surprise search, according to two people familiar with their work. And you know what? They didn't think they had it. Just, just, this is a disturbing quote, or this is a disturbing segment of this. FBI agents on the case worried the prosecutors were being overly aggressive. They found it worrisome, too, that the lead prosecutor did not seem to think it mattered whether Trump was the official subject of the probe. They feared any of these features might not stand up to scrutiny if an inspector general or a congressional committee chose to retrace the investigators' steps. Well, I I guess that means- So they were not They're about to be investigated by the House. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they just set themselves up for the Republicans and, 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 you know, Congressman Comer or whoever else to say, hey, did you see this article? Maybe we should look into yeah. this then on behalf of the I mean, again, they keep on inadvertently giving Trump what he wants mm-hmm. because he gets the media coverage and he gets the vindication. He He's not in jail. All they, ta- all they do is talk about see, wanting to see him in jail. Right. Well, and it's- and it, here he is. And, he, and here we have the story about how they knew that this was probably an overreach. But on the other hand, I will say the, the, you know, the people who, the, who went in to raid, mm-hmm. the, everyone who wanted to raid Mar-a-Lago and do exactly what they did, even if they come up with nothing. I mean, in, you know, they're thinking like, oh, this is going to be it. I'm sure they believe that. But at the end of the day, even if they don't, they know the media will cover for them because they're all yeah. on the same side. Now, as you mentioned, that, that you know, other people in authority will not feel that way and they can probably do something about it, like an inspector general or House Republicans now that they're in control. But again, by and large, the narrative will still be they had to go in there. They did the right thing and we'll find some. Red flag, guys. If the the agents are telling you, we're not sure we have the goods. Again, these people could be motivated to be telling this story for their own reasons. But it turns there's a part here where it says prosecutors learned FBI agents were still loath to conduct a surprise search. They also heard from top FBI officials that some agents were simply afraid. They worried taking aggressive steps investigating Trump could blemish or even end their careers, according to some people with knowledge of the discussions. Why would they think that? Okay, one official, <laughs> hold on, one official dubbed it, quote, the hangover of Crossfire Hurricane, a reference to the FBI investigation of Russia's interference in the 2016 presidential election and possible connections to the Trump campaign. 
the Washington Post is not giving enough context to Crossfire Hurricane, yeah. which was a disaster. Right. And it, at this point, not admitted a, disaster. That was not a successful, that was not <laughs> no, a successful they're, operation. They're acting like the hangover of Crossfire Hurricane is preventing good police work over here. No, no, no. These guys are saying, hey, remember when we did that? really bad investigation that was politically motivated before and there were a bunch of <laughs> professional and political incentives to get the guy that mm -hmm. we're now talking about mm -hmm. getting again maybe we should be wary of that the washington post yeah. is like well i don't know what is was crossfire hurricane bad was that bad does anybody remember yes it was bad <laughs> just mention it we just mentioned that it happened no, and then move on to the next it's thing it's used so. actually to insinuate that like that somehow they're they're scared off of things and that yeah. that's a bad thing. Like, I don't yeah. know. Maybe being very no. careful about people's constitutional rights is a good thing. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm also curious in this back and forth with unnamed sources, what tension, if any, there was between Christopher Ray and Mar Merrick Garland. So it said it did. Uh, one sentence I found interesting was the Mar-a-Lago case was unusual, not just for its focus on a former president, but in the way it was closely monitored at every step by senior Justice Department officials noting that Garland said he personally approved the search on Trump's yeah. property. I enjoyed one quote from the head of the FBI Washington field office, which was in charge of this, say, asking why they're, why they're looking for classified presidential records as well as classified records. And he says, we're not the presidential records police. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's right. If you were wondering if they were damn sure and had, you know, a really, really, really good reason, yeah. this seems to suggest that, as much of the coverage since then has suggested that no, like, well, I mean, much like the Trump tax document story, we're not really talking about it anymore. There's not much talk about what is coming out of the Mar-a-Lago raid, is there? No. In terms of possible files, secrets, the nuclear secrets that they were talking about. Oh my about. gosh. It's you don't hear it. None of, there's no time being devoted to that. I can tell you right now, most of the time is being, <laughs> if the media is devoting is waiting for the verdict of this Murdoch trial. Well, you and, know, which is, by the way, when you see when you see the TV screen flash behind me, let me know <laughs> when the verdict. Is well, there. and even though I am not following this pun, trial. pun intended, the the possible outcome is always so trumped up that yeah. it makes oh, yeah. everything look silly by comparison. But they've been doing this for six years, and as I noted, yeah, at some point, don't aren't we going to get tired? No, shouldn't people because be they keep tired getting journalism awards of this. for it? Oh yeah. <laughs> They're, they're amazing investigations. <laughs> and again, have, have you noticed anybody talk about the Columbia Journalism Review piece that we talked about? No. Everybody's just moved. No. Moved right along. Oh, speaking of moving right along. The press is also not covering any of these hearings to get to the bottom of the COVID response. Have you noticed that? Yes. No, again, you know, all these amazing things that are now happening because the Republicans have a bare thin majority in the House, but we would never hear any of this for except for that very paper thin margin. Yeah, but go ahead. I want to play you just a little bit. Honestly, it's it's enough just to play him speaking. But Marty Macari or is it Macri? Marty Mac I always say Macari. Marty Macari, a John Hopkins surgeon, Harvard educated, among other places. He is now a COVID advisor to Governor Glenn Youngkin, or was at the beginning of his his governorship. I'm not sure at the moment. By the way, Glenn Youngkin's latest approval ratings, 57%. Just just doing I'm fine. sure that's going to make a lot of headlines. Yeah. <laughs> and that's got to drive the posties crazy because they they worked so hard prior to the election and after to going after Youngkin. 
trying to find as many people to say as many bad things about all the horrible things he's doing for kids. But go yeah. ahead. So Marty, Marty McCarry is speaking to this commission to figure out or not. It's not official commission. It's just a hearing to speak about what we could have done better. And he just does the the full calling out of public health and government. And it's two minutes long and you should just hear all of it. The greatest perpetrator of misinformation during the pandemic has been the United States government. Misinformation that COVID was spread through surface transmission, that vaccinated immunity was far greater than natural immunity, that masks were effective. Now we have the definitive Cochrane review. What do you do with that review? Cochrane is the most authoritative evidence body in all of medicine and has been for decades. Do you just ignore it, not talk about it? That myocarditis was more common after the infection than the vaccine. Not true. It's four to 28 times more common after the the vaccine. That young people benefit from a booster. Misinformation. Our two top experts on vaccines quit the FDA in protest over this particular issue, pushing boosters in young, healthy people. The data was never there. That's why the CDC never disclosed hospitalization rates among boosted Americans under age 50. The vaccine mandates would increase vaccination rates. The George Mason University study shows it didn't. It did one thing. It created never vaxxers who are now not getting the childhood vaccines they need to get. Over and over again, we've seen something that goes far beyond using your best judgment with the information at hand. We've seen something which is unforgivable, and that is the weaponization of medical research itself. The CDC putting out their own shoddy studies, like their own study on natural immunity, looking at one state for two months, when they had data for years on all 50 states. Why did they only report that one sliver of data? Why did they salami slice the giant database? Because it gave them the result they wanted. Same with masking study. Well, the data has now caught up in giant systematic reviews and the public health officials were intellectually dishonest. They lied to the American people. Thank you. Boom. No, no news here. Yeah. Nothing to, nothing to that, that again. Why would why would CNN or MSNBC want to be covering yeah. this or CBS or any of the major networks? Really? No, because really. the the, the, the whole old as news, you know, the role of journalists is just to to spout whatever the CDC tells them to and to never think yeah. about it critically. <laughs> yeah, who are these people? I mean, they might know something. They, they, sure, maybe they're doctors, but you know what? They're no they're no Apurva Mandeville. <laughs> That's the New York Times say, the New York reporter. Science writer who said, in fact, the lab leak theory is racist. Yes. They, they, if the house, if the house was still controlled by Democrats, we'd have a poor. Oh yeah, she would tell us, us not to talk about says. it. Yeah, yeah. That but he's covered. he's one of a, you know, a handful of public health experts and doctors who were outspoken on Twitter and in public to the detriment yeah. of their careers sometimes during the COVID years to say, hey, can we please critically examine these things instead of just assuming that whatever Rochelle, Rochelle, Rochelle says on a given mm -hmm. day is the gospel truth, because that's not how this works. And so I appreciate him speaking up, even if no one's going to cover it, but we will cover it here. And I appreciated him just running, just running through the misinformation there. And again, yeah, mistakes are one thing, as he says, like working with the best information you have, but that's not what's happening here. 
And just as you saw with Walensky, the CDC head is still using an outdated, debunked pediatric deaths metric that her own agency is inflating and has been called on. And they know they've been called on it and they're still not correcting it. And she's still repeating it because the point is to do what? To up the number of boosters and vaccination rates among young people that Makari here is saying we don't have the data for. We don't have the data and we don't have the <sighs> because there's something called natural immunity and antibodies that apparently, again, according to the Lancet Review show, work. Brought to you by Ivermectin, so. as always. <laughs> no, I, d I do think, I think uh, public yeah. health is in a real crisis and they don't realize it. And I just, yeah. my kingdom for a reliable narrator for this right. country. Because, because right. no one is doing the job. No one's doing the job, Vic. At, at, at these committee hearings, do the Democrats try to go after them and poke holes in Marty McCary or Jay Batashari's theories? I assume, yes. Jay, by the way, is a Stanford public health expert who has been outspoken as well. And I guess that is the object. And they're like, <laughs> I need to look up some of those exchanges that are probably like, but my daughter wears a mask all the time and she never got COVID. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Which at this point, I don't know. The I, I can go on and I won't, but it does make me sort of, you know, think about again, things like the Great Barrington Declaration. And if only, you know, our government and government people in power had listened to those doctors about, you know, look, take care of the elderly, the immunocompromised, you know, and everybody else go and live your life. Cuomo's like, or the other option two, yeah. put yeah. a bunch of infected folks inside nursing homes nursing homes yeah Shut down the yeah. rest of the city so everyone gets depressed and jobless does that sound like a yeah. plan that's right that sounds that's like right. a plan he's a leader the, our yeah, times. that's <laughs> andrew cuomo <sighs> gretchen whitmer good yeah. stuff all right well we one leader has come to the end of her tenure in chicago oh, yeah. in chi-town lori lightfoot the somewhat notorious mayor of Chicago during the entire COVID period. Now, Chicago mayors, it should be noted, usually last forever because there's a huge Democratic machine and yeah. they generally just crank out whatever is needed for Richard M. Right, for the Democratic incumbent. But for the first time since 1989, this is reported in Time magazine, a mayor was denied, an incumbent mayor was denied re-election. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, a 60-year-old former federal prosecutor, who became the first black woman and the first openly gay person to lead America's third biggest city, failed to advance to an April 4th runoff after carrying each of the city's 50 wards just four years ago. So this is interesting to me because why? What? Why is she paying a price? Is it because of COVID response? Is it because of a general decline in quality of life in the city? Most importantly, crime. What signal should we be taking here, if any? Well, you're asking sure. me right now. Okay. <laughs> well, it's funny because, you know, in her concession speech, she brags about all the guns she removed from mm. the streets. And, and then she actually said something to the effect of crime being lower. And what? I'm like, I don't know. I don't think, I think homicides are kind of up like 60%. And car theft is up like 275% or some staggering number. And then, and then, and then she bragged about, you know, she never, she goes, we can't win every battle, but you know, we, we, but we stood up to the rich and powerful. Isn't she rich and powerful because 
she got her hair done during the. I shutdown. mean, anybody who yeah, that? anybody who could get hit their get their hair done in a major metro area during lockdown was yeah. rich and powerful. Yes, everybody's all the store. Every 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 shop was closed, and the only people I know who were able to pull this off are her and the former Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. So again, you're talking about the quality of life, and the answer is yes. Things like crime and people. Everyone has a threshold. How much are you willing to put up with? And we finally just saw right here that people have had enough because she came in with something like 17%. Right. I know. It doesn't, uh, doesn't even make the runoff. Result. I mean, that's quite something. No, it doesn't, doesn't make the runoff. What, what are your thoughts? Well, on, on so this? she's also famously has sharp elbows. So she would have to be to become a leader yeah. of the Democratic Party in Chicago. But that at the end of these four years... Of course, you know, with the COVID response and with various actions she took, she had kind of run off too many of her allies. But Time, particularly the teachers, yes. Unions. But Time magazine suggests, uh, you know, that she failed. Well, like, I think she's she's hurting on both sides, right? Because she ticked off parents who can't send their yeah. kids to school, but then she also ticked off the <laughs> the teachers unions, which gets very dangerous because for a Democrat. Even for her, it was like, okay, you're staying home too much. That's yeah. how bad it was. So Time magazine, this is. Phil Elliott reporting says that she failed to grasp that even the weary voters of deep blue Chicago will put up with persistent upticks in crime for so long and that the realities of a pandemic and racial injustice protests have clashed with the city's self-image. The result, Lightfoot closed out Tuesday in a distant third place. And he goes on to say this, this may be a sign that the COVID era isn't really decided for the history books yet because the narratives mm -hmm. are still competing. But this electoral right. result and let me just disclose that this confirms my priors and I hope it's the case. So just you can take me with a grain of salt. But he suggests that this may be the hint that people still aren't done settling scores from this period of time. I should hope not. I mean, this is something that, you know, my friend John Podhoritz keeps on talking about the, 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 the reckoning, yeah. you know, after, you know, the two years of COVID closure insanity. And in, in many ways, we didn't see that in a lot of places. Certainly the midterm elections, there were other things that people were focused on with the overturning of Roe v. Wade and other things of that nature or certain Trump-backed candidates. But you'd like to think in these instances, particularly at the very local level, people do remember what prevented me from getting out there when I could easily have gone out there. My store would still be open and everything else and, and that sort of these detrimental cascading effects. So they like to think about it. My, my big concern is, of course, she comes in third place with 17%. So the, 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 at the top of the primary was Paul Vallis, mm -hmm. right? And he has the support of the police. And, and then there's Brandon Johnson, who came in second. And Brandon Johnson campaigned to the left of Lori Lightfoot, right? And Lord if you can help imagine us. that, he wants, he wants to defund the, he wants to continue to defund the police. He wants to, you know, I mean, she actually, Lori Lightfoot at the end realized the error of her ways and was trying to, you know, bolster the police. But by then everyone had left, you know, and they lost all these, all these officers. So Johnson is campaigning to the left and wants to divert funds away from the police. What happens if, what, what do the 17% who voted for Lori Lightfoot do? Do they support somebody who campaigned further to the left or to the right? Of, I'm sure Chicago will be fine. <laughs> I mean, you know, really, I mean, it's, it's, even if they pick, I mean, uh, even if they pick, you know, they make Vallison to be this, this, this great, you know, guy and, and, and everything. And he talks about wanting to bring back community policing, which is great. Although I still don't know how you bring the cops yeah, back, right. but at the same time, they're, they're all Democrats, right? I mean, he could turn into Eric Adams. We don't know. What even is Eric Adams? We don't even, 
Anyway. I could tell you what he's not, which is a good move. <laughs> All righty. I'm going to finish with something light real quick because we got to get Vic on his oh. way. Oh, that's okay. Because Kate has something to do tonight and we don't want her to miss it. She, yeah. We both go in and I have to, I have to do a, it's like a, a dad's night at my son's okay. school. So we have to get Kate and Vic off on their way. So mm. let me just ask you real quick and we'll have a brief discussion of this. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about your signature, Vic? Do you have thoughts on it? What do you mean my, my signature? Yeah. You mean my handwriting yeah. signature? Yeah. I love it. I have been, <laughs> I ha, I love it because I have, and people are amazed at my signature. That's because I went, I did what, 12 years of Catholic school okay. and maybe seven of, from grades one through seven, maybe, or six or seven, we still had penmanship class. Oh, nice. You know, so even, keep in mind, I'm a left-hander. Oh, I so didn't even know you were a lefty. Paw, I need your help with uh, teaching I, my my oldest to write in cursive. So we'll talk about that later. Oh yeah, no, they. I know. I know a lot of left-handers have a weird thing going on where they're. It, it's sort of a, a weird hook thing yeah. going on with the the direction of the writing. But because, like, I remember David Brooks is the same way as a left-hander in weird writing. But because of the Catholic school, you would think I was right-handed. The only problem, of course, is I smudge my writing right, as right, I go of across course. because of that. But. Love my handwriting. It's been, it's been, I've worked on it for many okay. years. Why okay, do you I ask because now, these days, in these trying times, <laughs> if you hate your signature, you can hire a consultant to help you change it. Can't you just get a computer okay. system program to do this? <laughs> no, sir. Listen, <laughs> this is part of your brand, Gosh. Vic, okay? Your, oh, it turns God. out your brand is fine. Priscilla Molina in Los Angeles does a minimum of 300 custom signatures a month, offering packages that include up to three ways to sign, limitless drafts, or a new set of initials. She charges between $10 and $55 using the motto, where originality meets legacy. Melina said her Planet of Names clients include professionals and famous people in search of new ways to sign autographs, though her lips are sealed on the identities of high-profile signature seekers. In general, Melina said people come to her for signature makeovers for a simple reason. They're tired of the way they sign their names. They're not happy with their signatures. They don't relate to who they are. They don't give the message they want to convey to the world. With the, with signature. the signature, yes. Now, I mean, I mean, I'm laughing. Uh, yeah, I'm laughing, but I did spend some time developing my signature when I was. But the thing is, when you were I was young, like eleven. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, of course. Now it's stuck. So you. whatever I wanted when I was 11, the brand, my, is my it? signature now is the brand of me as an 11 year old. So I don't know. Right. I don't know. What's that? What's what I, is that doing for me? I've shortened my signature over time because I noticed that people don't actually care yeah. anymore about, I mean, I could just make it, you know, with not the full name spelled out, obviously, unless it's a proper document. And that's the other thing. It was being very careful. You know, you got a passport. So I told this to the kids because they did, they finally got their passports. I said, you got to sign it. And start working on your signatures now. Oh, that's a you moment. Know, my, my son's yeah. is her. Yeah, it is because my son's is horrendous. You, you know, and and so, but you're describing this woman who is the, a, a signature. What is she? Where originally where originality meets forgery meets, meets legacy. <laughs> oh, a legacy. Legacy. She's a signature consultant. Yeah. that's what she is. I don't know. So then, what does she does she do it for you? She teaches you how to she come up with you, a She teaches you, and then signature. she sends you home to do reps. With the promise that, I mean, basically, like, Reps. basically how I taught my kids to write is like, you, if you practice this 100 times, then you will have a new signature and that will, it will better reflect your brand. Can I mm -hmm. say this? It sounds like a correspondence course for correspondence. 
It just cracks so, me up that this is a branding adventure that you can actually pay for. I, I came up with my signature as a child and it has stuck around, but I have, you know, my, actually my handwriting was probably better when I was a child, so it's fine. And the funny thing about my signature now, mine doesn't have, not all the letters are clear, but it has the, it has the important ones. Like you can pick out the M, oh, the K picture, and the H yeah. and the, and the in between is a little iffy. But but it's stylish. The funny thing about it is that it looks exactly like my father's. Really? We have very very similar oh. handwriting, and so this and I'm sure I took some of the style from him as well. But we have very similar handwriting, and you know helped with permission slips and whatnot when I was a child. Oh, <laughs> tricky you! Just kidding, Dad. My dad, even even though my even though my my dad was what is a doctor was a doctor. He's retired now amazing handwriting. Oh my gosh. But he was also an artist. So, you know, he's very good. I mean, really, really nice stuff. I thought, Mary Catherine, you wanted to talk about the human AI romance, but we can save, save that it. for another I'm, I'm afraid of the jokes Please. that Vic's going to make, so we'll save it for Oh, me. oh, no joke. No jokes. I'm, I'm going to tell you exactly where I think this okay. is going, okay. but we'll save it. We'll save it for the next one. Okay. I have really quickly a correction okay. on the last episode. I said my daughter would order Starbucks at Starbucks a quote, venti iced sugar cookie almond milk frappuccino with two pumps, toasted ice smoke, a vanilla sweet cream, cold foam, and whipped okay. cream on top. Turns out, number one, this is a holiday drink, okay. okay? So don't go all out there to get it now. And the second thing is the whipped cream at the end, she got a little carried away. That was an exaggeration because I, I was driving her and her cousin to like tap. And I hear her telling the story about what she would get. And her cousin goes, wait a minute. She was like, whipped cream on top of the cold foam? That sounds that sounds like it's a bit. She's like, oh, you're right. You're right. I, I got carried away. She said, like, it's got a little exaggeration. Unlike her I dad, who doesn't exaggerate. I would say one, I, you know, one sip of this drink would probably send me into a diabetic coma. I think so. I mean, you're yeah. already pre. going to have. So. I, well, I don't want to know my numbers at this very moment. I don't want to know. So let's wrap it up with another edition of Getting Hammered. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And you can follow me on Twitter at Victorino Max. I am at MK Hammer on Twitter, at MK Hammer Time on Instagram. Let me commend to you, because we'll talk about it next week, because we keep forgetting. Physical 100 on Netflix. Just watch. Don't even. I'm not even going to describe it. Just pull it up. It looks like Squid Game. It's amazing. Please check it out. If you get a chance, we're going to talk about it next week because I'm making Vic watch it because I think Kate will like it. Well, too. I thought I, for a second, I would, you know, I thought I, 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 I took a sneak peek. I thought I was looking at myself in there. <laughs> and look, you guys are going to enjoy it. I'm not, I'm not joking around. Okay. And then next, uh, I just want to update you guys that I am still playing guitar. I know it's been only three days, but I'm on it. I'm on it. Okay. Well, you paid for it. <laughs> that was, I made money. I paid myself. All right. Thank you for being with us and getting hammered responsibly. This has been a Nebulous Media Podcast. <laughs>